0: Grinch who stole Thanksgiving, huh? It's a new twist on that one, isn't it? Let's give another round of applause for uh, Vaughn and his wife Irene. All the way from San Jose, came to bless us. And uh, I forgot to mention when we're talking about the uh, book giveaway for those of you who are joining us online. And uh, all, also our Marine Camp, Marina campus and our Padre campus, we have books for all of you. Uh, but if you're online and you join us every Sunday and you would like to get a copy of that book, just email karen at compasschurchmc.org, karen at compasschurchmc.org. ORG and we'll get you a copy of that book, okay? And all you can call the number on the screen. Just call her tomorrow. Don't call today because nobody's there So in the office. So give her a call, and we'll get you a copy of that book. And also, I forgot to mention, we also have books set aside for all you uh, prisoners that join us each and every week in the Soledad State Prison uh, system. was Someone told me, I didn't know this. I thought there was only one uh, prison correctional institute uh, down there in Soledad. I guess there's two that we're involved with down there. So isn't that amazing? So we're going to get you guys some books. Um, we're going to get them there by a chaplain or somebody, and hopefully the people who run it, they'll let us distribute those to you, but we want to get those into your hands as well. So God bless you guys, and thanks for joining us each and every Sunday. We hope our service is encouraging to you. Hey, this is going to be a big week for us coming up for everybody. This is a huge week. We've got friends and family be joining from all over the nation. Uh, we're flying out to Washington, D.C. to visit our oldest daughter and, and all of that, and it's going to be fun. People will be traveling. It's going to be the holidays. It's Thanksgiving. It's a time of joy, right? time of celebration, a time of enjoyment. Photos are going to be taken, stories will be told, memories will be made, and it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful week for most of us. Why? Well, have you ever been at a Thanksgiving meal and someone in the family just about ruined the entire moment for everybody because they were a Grinch? Has that ever happened? Something unexpected happened and the entire moment was changed, maybe like this famous movie clip you've seen. Let's watch it up here on the screen. Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. (laughs) Save the neck for me, Clark. (laughs) Okay, Eddie. Look at that. Oh. Uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Sorry. Why are you crying? Uh, I told you we put it in too early. Drum roll, please. Drum roll. Oh, oh, uh, drrr. Beautiful, Clark. I hope you can see what a silly waste of resources this was. You worked really hard, Grandma. So do washing machines. <laughs> those are great clips, aren't they? I can't get enough of those. We watch them over and over again. But it happens every time, all over, every year in homes across America. Someone with a rotten attitude spoils it for everybody else. And in a moment's notice, the atmosphere goes from one of happiness and and joy to anger and frustration and and deep uh, resentment and disappointment. And in that moment, you can cut the tension with a knife. But here's a question. What happens if you're the Grinch? What happens if you're the one? What do you do then? How do you respond? Especially if you don't even know it or you can't see it in yourself. So, allow me to help us on this journey of self-discovery. Allow me to share with you what I discovered as the top seven reasons you may be a modern-day Grinch this holiday season. Let's look up on the screen. Number one, you avoid shopping malls and plazas and stores at all costs. Number two, the thought of extended family coming over at Thanksgiving instantly gives you anxiety. Number three... You view all holiday lights as an absurd waste of energy. Number four, dogs in Santa or elf costumes, they don't amuse you at all. I can relate to that one. Yeah. I don't. Number five, when you see people with a real Christmas tree, all you think of is how long will it take to clean up all those needles? <laughs> Number six, you're the first person on your Christmas list every year. I like that one, that's funny. And number seven, you're covered in a green fur and you live at the top of a mountain with your dog named Max. You're probably a modern day Grinch. (laughs) On a serious note though, psychologists do tell us that the holidays can be a very difficult time for people. Why? Well, loneliness can set in, moments that we hoped for fall short of our expectations and quite honestly, many of our families are just plain weird and people don't get along. And all of this can bring us down. They, they function like a Grinch who steals our joy during the holidays. Well, God doesn't want that for us. He wants us, he wants us to be lifted up. And he wants us to be filled with joy. So in that, with that in mind, I want to share with you how we can build a life filled with thanksgiving. Because a life with thanksgiving is a life filled with joy. In fact, the Bible provides for us a way to kick the Grinch to the curb, if you would, and keep happiness in our hearts. And I want to share that with you this morning. So today we're going to look at four ways that help us to be thankful in our hearts towards others and towards God. And we're going to answer the question, how do I build a life of thanksgiving? Let's take a look at an Old Testament story found all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 20. And the first thing we learn is we can remember the promise of God's provision. Remember the promise of God's provision. We're going to pick up the story here in verse 7. Now, this story is about Moses talking to the people of Israel, way back in the Old Testament. Let's see what's going on here. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out of the valleys and the hills, It is a land of wheat and barley and grapevines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. So let's get the overall context of what's happening here in the biblical text. Deuteronomy, if you're not aware, is actually the final of five books, the first five books of the Bible, all written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those five books of the Bible. And the majority of this book, Deuteronomy, is comprised actually of a series of farewell speeches given by Moses to the people of Israel. And these speeches can actually be dated all the way back to the months of January and February of 1405, but 1405 BC before Jesus. And the writing of this book takes place exclusively in one location over a period of about 30 days. What's going on? Well, Israel was settled in an area called the Central Rift Valley. It's just east of the Jordan River. Some of you who went to Israel in September, you probably went to this region, so you know exactly what I'm referring to. The location was referred to as the Plains of Moab. We're going to show you up on the screen. If you look at the world, we can see we're going to the Middle East. We zoom in a little further. We get in here towards the country of modern day Israel and the Dead Sea, and you go in a little further, and it's just this area right here to the north and to the right of the Dead Sea, and this is the River Jordan right here. So that's the plains of Moab, where the people of Israel were when Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy. It had been almost 40 years since the Israelites had left Egypt, and they were finally on the cusp of entering into the promised land. Which, incidentally, is the very land where modern-day Israel is today. And the book of Deuteronomy reveals much about the characteristics of God and the nature of God. And so, consequently, it actually is quoted over 40 different times in the New Testament. It's surpassed only by the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah. So, although you probably, some of you not have read it or scarcely have heard of it, you most certainly have bumped into a lot of its content in the pages of the New Testament. So what's going on here in the passage today? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Moses delivers one of his final messages, and in this message he reveals to the nation of Israel four crucial elements related to how they were to have a successful future in this new land they're about to enter into. And he's teaching them that the basis to having a successful future in the new land is to develop a life of thanksgiving. And it's the first step in this whole process is to remember the promise of God's provision. We have to remember these things that God provides to, uh, promises to provide for us. And if you think about it, it's kind of like that for us in our personal life as well. I mean, if we want to develop a life of thanksgiving, we need to remember the promise of God that he promises to provide for us as well. And this is a foundational truth for a follower of Christ. This is spiritual bedrock for those of us who follow Jesus. Because sometimes it's all we have to stand on when things get tough and things aren't going the way we want. You know, I remember one time early in our ministry, we, my wife and I, we were youth pastors at a church in Chicago in the south suburbs. And we got our very first house and we were so excited. It was back when you could buy a house for $74,000. Can you believe that? Right? It was, it was 900 square feet. Tiny little house, two bedroom, one bathroom. We didn't have a garage, and the driveway was gravel. That was it. So, no concrete, no blacktop. Well, in Chicago, you know, it snows and ice and all that. And I was trying to figure out how am I going to shovel this with the rocks and everything. So, I was praying, God, could you provide for us somehow a blacktop driveway or something? And I was talking to one of the guys in the church, his name was Ed, and he owned a concrete business. And I said, What would it cost to put a, a driveway, a little single one lane driveway? He said, it'll cost you about $4,000. And I about choked. You know, I was like, $4,000? I don't even have $400 in my checking account. You know, I was broke. And he said, well, don't worry about it. When you're ready, just give me a call. I said, okay. So lo and behold, a few months go by. I'm praying to God about what, what can you do, help us with this whole thing. And I'll never forget this. One Saturday morning, it was like at 6.15 in the morning, all of a sudden I hear these big old trucks driving up in the front of our house. And I wake up and I look out the window and there's Ed with his concrete trucks and the whole crew and I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, did he think I said, go ahead and put the driveway in? And I'm like, what do I do? I'm one of the pastors of the church. Well, I, can't, I can't have a confrontation, you know, so what do I do? So I just went out, and I said, like, you want some coffee? Like, what do you, what do you need? And so we started talking. He goes, well, you said you want a driveway, so we're going we're gonna, to, you know, where do you want it? And so I walked it through, and I went back in, and I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And so I came back out and checked a little bit later, and he came up to me and said, hey, pastor. He said, I could see you're a little trying to figure this out. I said, yeah. He said, I want you to know this driveway, we're taking care of it for you. God told me to put it in for you. Isn't that cool? And so here I was all grumpy and complaining and didn't know what to do, and God was saying, will you knock it off? I got this covered for you. I promise to provide for you, and sometimes it's those goofy things like that, and sometimes it's bigger things, and sometimes it's smaller things. But as the people of God, what I've learned is that a grouchy demeanor and an ungrateful perspective on life, they don't go together, right? It's impossible to find joy when you're grumpy. Have you ever noticed that in life that happiness and grumpiness, they don't go together? They don't, do they? It's kind of some other things I discovered this week, like this first one here. I found out that bacon and ice cream, they don't go together. Isn't that just weird? Yeah, how about this next one I found? Pizza at the gym. That definitely doesn't go together, right? No. And then my favorite one I found, this one here, was bifocals and a nose ring. Yeah. (laughs) That just doesn't go together. So how do you stop being grumpy and be more happy? Well, you start with the promises of God. That's where you start. What does the Bible tell us? Philippians 4.19. Look at this up on the screen. And my God will supply every need of yours according to what? His riches, his riches where? In glory, that's heaven, in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. How many riches does God have in heaven? You can't count, it's impossible. So God will supply your needs according to what? All the riches he has in heaven. So that means he's got my concrete driveway covered, doesn't it? And he showed me that day. And there's been other things that he's done in my life. Here's another one, the psalmist reminds us, I have been young, I have been old, And yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Psalm 37, 25. Again, these are promises for God. Write these down. You're going to need these. Because someone might ask me, well, how does God provide for his people? Well, sometimes he does it in big ways and sometimes he does it in small ways. I kind of like the way uh, pastor and author John Piper said it. He said it this way. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. But you may be aware of three of them. He's always moving. And that's rule number one in this whole concept, that we have to remember God's promises. So what are we learning here? Because of God's promises, we can always be joyful. We don't have to be grumpy. Never forget that. All right, what's the second aspect to developing a life of thanksgiving? Well, I believe it's to resolve to praise God for his provision. Resolve to praise God for his provision. Let's pick up back up with Moses here and the people of Israel. So in verse 10 he says, when you have eaten your fill, in other words, when you've gone in now to this wonderful land, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So Moses continues his speech by reminding the people of God how important it is to praise God for his provision in our life. What I've discovered is that's one thing to remember his promises during my time of need, but it's a whole other thing to praise him after God has come through for me. Two different things. And the next part of the text today assumes that the people of God are now in the promised land and they are enjoying the promises mentioned above. And yet when you get there, begin to enjoy the benefits, Moses is telling the people of God to determine ahead of time to praise God for it. And that's a big key in life as I thought about this week that you know before you jump into something, it's important to determine to decide in advance and be firm in your thoughts about an issue, and not only this issue of praising God, but in other issues in our life, the time to decide in many cases is before you get there. Right? Let me give you an example. When's the best time to avoid a temptation? What do you think? Before you get to the temptation, right? I mean, you and I—we we don't go out to Costco and buy a super-sized box of ho hos and ding dongs, and then put them in our cupboard if we're trying to lose weight, do we? That's not a good idea, right? Imagine that, right? Late at night, you're getting hungry, your stomach's rumbling. You go to the cupboard and boom, there they are. Is that the moment to decide? No, you're gonna lose that battle every time. Where's Lisa, women's ministry? I told Lisa in September, some of my favorite things are Doritos with nachos or you know, nachos with the cheese on it and Doritos and Oreo cookies. So what does she give me in October for Pastor Appreciation Month? Like all these Oreo cookies and nacho cheese and I'm like, thank you, Lisa, I appreciate that. So it's in my office, and I've been snacking on it for the last couple months. So I lost that battle, right? So the time to decide is before you get there. That's the time. I think you get the point. And that's what Moses is encouraging the people of God to do. You see, when God does something special in your life, you give him thanks, and you praise him for it. In fact, that's what we do here every Sunday. Did you know that? That's what we do here every single Sunday. Some people who are new to their Christian faith sometimes will ask me as a pastor, you know, why do we always sing at the start of each service? What's that all about? Well, I'll tell you what it's all about. We've decided a long time ago in advance to start our services with singing and praising God. Why? Because of all the things that he's done for us. We want to declare it up front. And so in large part, that decision that churches all across America and around the world have decided to do, go all the way back to this verse Connected to Moses and his instruction to the people of God. Decide in advance. So think about this. For over 3,400 years, God has, been the people, God has been giving his people the instruction to praise him before you go into a time of, of, of looking into his word. So it's a time for us to give thanks. And since that time, the people of God have been doing that and worshiping God and thanking him for all the things he has done in our life. And that's what worship's all about. That's what singing's all about. That's what clapping's all about. It's a recognition thing. We are recognizing who God is and how great and how awesome he is. And we're going to do that every Sunday. We decide in advance to do that. Now, what's interesting as we climb into this text a little bit further is there is a specific reason that God reminds us to do this. And I'm going to get that in just a second. But what I thought I'd do is share with you something that I've learned. I've learned something else about the idea of giving praise for his provision in my life. And here's what it is. The idea of giving praise to God is easy to do when the provision of God is plentiful, right? Or extravagant. Like the story I told you about having a concrete driveway. That was very easy to do. However, what do we do if the provision is hard to see? Or the provision is in a way that uh, God provides for us that we're not expecting? What do I do at that point? What do I do if I find myself on the island of despair and it appears to be no provision around? And some of you may be here today, I get that. But let me provide you with some encouragement that I discovered. The famous English writer from the 1700s, Daniel Defoe, gives us good advice through his fictitious character, Robinson Crusoe. Some of you might remember this story from high school. The first thing that Crusoe did when he found himself on the deserted island was to make out a list. And on one side of the list, he wrote down all of his problems. And on the other side of the list, he wrote down all of his blessings. So on one side, he wrote, I do not have any clothes. On the other side, he wrote, but it's warm, and I really don't need any. On one side, he wrote, all the provisions were lost. On the other side, he wrote, but there's plenty of fresh fruit and water on the island. And on and on, he went down the list. And in this fashion, he discovered that for every aspect of negativity in his situation there was a positive thing to be there for him something he could be thankful for and that's the encouragement you see it's easy for us to find ourselves on the island of despair isn't it and perhaps we need to take time and sit down and begin to give thanks and take inventory of all the blessings that God has given us and imagine there might be a few of us that could do that this week and so why don't you work on that if God's speaking to your heart to do so Okay, we've learned so far that on our way to building a life of thanksgiving and thereby kicking the Grinch to the curb, we can remember the promises of God and we can resolve to praise God. What's the third thing we can do? We can recall the plenty of God's provision. Recall the plenty of God's provision. Let's pick up here in verse 11. So Moses then continues and he says, but that is the time to be careful. What time? The time after you've gone into the land of plenty and you're beginning to experience God's provision in your life, that's the time to be careful. Why? He says, well, beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. Because what could happen? And disobey his commands and regulations and decrees that I am giving you today. That's pretty interesting because Moses is changing, changing gears on us here a little bit. And he issues a warning to the people of God. You probably caught that in the text. You may recall that I mentioned just a few moments ago that there is a specific reason that God encourages us to remember to praise him. And here it is. And I'll show you a little illustration here up on the screen. When we forget God, we have a tendency to drift away from God. And when we drift away from God, we have a tendency to disobey God. And when we begin to disobey God, we have a tendency to have a miserable life. And when we have a miserable life, we end up being the Grinch. So there you go. That's the circle. That's what this text is telling us. And in that condition, we end up treating people bad. We end up being a jerk to those around us. Kind of like a guy I read about this week who built uh, the famous Spite House in New York. Here's his story. Listen to this. In the late 1800s, there was a, a wealthy man who owned a piece of land in an exclusive residential area of New York City. Their particular lot presented a very unusual problem. Listen to this. The lot was five feet wide, yet 100 feet long. And he couldn't do anything with such an odd-sized lot, so he decided to sell it to one of the neighbors on either side of him. But when he went to his neighbors, they didn't want to give him anything for it. They simply told him, well, you can't build on it, and you can't sell it to anyone else, so take our meager offer or leave it empty. Well, the man was so angered by their refusal and their disrespect that he decided to be a Grinch and get even. So here's what he did. He hired an architect and a contractor and he had a house designed for that weirdly shaped lot. The house was five feet wide and ran the entire length of the property. He moved in and set up his home in this narrow house. Each room was barely wide enough for a single piece of furniture. His hatred for the people on either side of this small lot made him decide to ruin the look for the entire neighborhood. The neighbors complained it was a blight on the neighborhood, but the city planners couldn't find any code forbidding it. And the wealthy man moved into it, and he lived there. Yet in truth, the only one who was really punished was himself. He moved into a long, narrow little house that held only hate and discomfort. The house became known throughout the neighborhood as the Spite House. And it stood until 1915 as a monument to one man's anger and hatred towards other people. The Grinch. What's the lesson here? When we are in a season of life when God is blessing us, we need to remember and recall how we got there. Because I have to tell you, friends, so many times we we look around at the blessings that God has given us and we think we did it. We think that, that we amassed all of this on our own. We tend to think it's because of our effort or our ingenuity or our creativity. But what this biblical story in Deuteronomy is teaching us today is that without God, without God's intervention, without God's help, nothing that we have in our land of plenty, none of that would be there if it wasn't for God's hand upon our life. That's the lesson. You say you may be here today and and you may think you're the most creative person in the world. You may have the mightiest touch in business. Or the ability to stay one step ahead of the stock market. And guess what? That may be true. And if it is, I'd like to meet you after the service. (laughs) But even if that was true, the Bible's teaching us that even in the midst of all of that success, your greatest successes, successes that you've been waiting for for a long time. In this story today, they've been waiting for 40 years to get into the promised land. And they finally are going to reach success. And even in that success, God's telling us if we don't recall God's place in the whole deal, we run the risk of losing our connection to God. And my my encouragement to you today, friend, is don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Okay, so what's the fourth and final aspect of building a life of thanksgiving? It's this, recognize the problem of self-reliance. Recognize the problem of self-reliance. Let's pick up in verse 12. Now, this is going to be a little bit longer passage, so hang with me here. Moses continues and he says, For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, do not become proud. Do not forget that he led you, God led you. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna. He did all of this to humble you and to test you for your own good. God did all of this that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and my own energy. For God is the one who gives you power to be successful. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Hmm. So as Moses concludes this portion of his speech, he leaves the people of God with a very important warning about something that we all face, and that is this. Our tendency to claim the credit for what God has done in our life. You know, as I thought about this this week, it really boils down to a discussion of the difference between arrogance and gratitude. You see, arrogance says, I did that. Gratitude says, God did that, or God did that through through me. Arrogance is rooted in self-reliance, and that, my friend, is a problem. Gratitude is rooted in God-reliance, And that, my friend, is the solution. And so here's what I've learned over the years. If you don't mind me being transparent with you this morning, what I have learned in my own personal life is during the times when I focused on being more self reliant than being God reliant, the issue of arrogance seems to be more prevalent in my life. That's been my experience. Now, some may say to me, big deal, what's wrong with being self confident? So what? Enjoy your successes. Well, here's what I've discovered. In that moment, in the season of arrogance, those moments and times, to me, those have been seasons of more discontent in my life. There have been times of more unhappiness, times of emptiness to some degree when I focus on myself. And I didn't expect that. I thought I would enjoy it more, but I actually felt more empty the further away from God I got. You see, in verse 19, the Bible tells us that if we forget the Lord, If we bow down to other gods, we will be destroyed. And some of you know what I'm talking about today, don't you? You've experienced that or you're experiencing that right now. Meaning not only do our riches and our material items ultimately get destroyed, right? I don't have to explain that to you. 500 years from now, everything you own is going to be in a garbage dump somewhere, right? It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be distributed and destroyed, gone. It won't mean anything. But in our arrogance, the actual most valuable thing that we possess while we live on this planet, the personal relationships with those we love, those get destroyed too, don't they, in our arrogance? And that's the part that God's warning us of. All of this leads to a season of emptiness. You know, I thought about pulling up a lot of quotes and people at this point on the screen for you, but I don't even have to do it because you all know the world is full of stories of people who have gained it all, amassed great wealth and success and acclaim and fame gained it all but were empty in their soul that's what God's talking about here we have to recognize who he is but I have good news because on the flip side of my life I revaluated this week in the seasons of gratitude those have been the seasons of great joy you know some of the best times in my life have had nothing to do with material items had nothing to do with money Nothing to do with my 401k retirement account. Even though it's hurting right now, just like yours. (laughs) Nothing to do with the college fund for the kids. Nothing to do with the value of my house or whatever. You get the point. Has nothing to do with my personal success of what I've accomplished. But has everything to do with a heart of gratefulness to God. That's when I've been the most happy. How about you? So here's what I've learned to put those two things together. Put those two things together. One of the keys in life is to learn how to have gratitude during my times of success. So that success and joy can go hand in hand. That's what God's telling us here. 3400 years ago, long before Dr. Phil or Oprah ever talked about this, God got it right. The Bible got it right. Friend, if you want to experience true happiness and true joy, one way to do that, according to verse 18, is to recognize that God gives us the power to be successful. Okay, let's wrap this up. What have we learned today? We've learned that in order to kick the Grinch to the curb, we need to develop a life of thanksgiving. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 8, the best way to develop a life of thanksgiving is to do these four things. Let's review. One, remember the promise of God's provision. Number two, resolve to praise God for his provision. Number three, recall the plenty of God's provision. And number four, recognize the problem of self-reliance. And if you're a follower of Jesus today... You know, just pick one of those areas. There's probably something you could work on this week over Thanksgiving to focus in on one of those things that'll help you become stronger in your walk with God. But when we put all these four application points into place, the Bible teaches us that we are in a much better place to keep our attention focused on God and not on ourselves. Whenever we focus on ourselves, friends, that's when we get lost. We gotta keep our heart and our mind focused upon him and what he's done in our life. And in that space... And in that relationship with God, that's where you find true joy. That's where you find true happiness and true peace, which so many people are longing for. And if you're a Christian here today, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you've yet to step over the line to receive Jesus Christ into your life and give your heart over to him in totality, this might be a little bit of a challenge to you. And you can sense God kind of talking to you right now in this moment. He's speaking to you. He's pulling or tugging on your heart to get into a relationship with you. I want to share a closing story with you that might help you along the way. You know, back when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, there is a story about a young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the address that was listed. When he arrived, he entered a large, noisy office, and in the background, a telegraph clicked away. A sign on the receptionist counter instructed all the job applicants to fill out a form and then wait until they were called to enter into the inner office Well, a young man completed his form, and he sat down with seven other waiting applicants. And after a few minutes, the young man stood up, and he crossed the room to the door of the inner office and just walked right in. Well, naturally, the other applicants, they perked up, wondering what was going on. Why had this man been so bold? They mumbled among themselves that they hadn't heard of any directive yet. Well, within a few minutes, this young man emerged from the inner office, escorted by the interviewer. Who announced to the other applicants, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming, but the job has been fulfilled by this young man. Well, the other applicants began grumbling to each other, and then one finally spoke up. Wait a minute. I don't understand. He was the last one to come in. We never even got a chance to be interviewed, and yet he got the job. That's not fair. The employer responded, well, all the time you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right on in. The job is yours. (laughs) None of you heard it or understood it. This young man did, so the job is his. You see, that's God when he speaks to us. He speaks to every human being right in here, in your ticker, in your heart. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? You felt that call. We all have, and you respond to that call. And if you're here today and God's Morse code is ticking on your heart right now, he's calling to you to come into relationship with him. Let this Thanksgiving, this Christmas, this holiday season be the season 2022 that you give your life over to Jesus Christ and you begin that journey with him. I tell you, friend, you'll find all the joy, all the peace, all the happiness you've been longing for. The world is empty. It can't provide any of it, but Jesus Christ provides it all for you, and he'll provide it for you today as well. You know, amen. Let me leave you with this. Jesus told us in Revelation chapter 320 up on the screen, he said, look, look, folks, I stand at the door, and I knock, the door of your heart. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'm not going to ignore you. I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. You know, you're going to have a lot of meals this uh, week coming up that you're going to share with a lot of family and friends, but the most important meal you can share is having a meal with Jesus. And if you invite him into your life today, he will begin that relationship with you, and I want to invite you to do that. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Let me pray for us. Amen. Father, we come before you today, and we honestly, as we said earlier, we are just so grateful. We're so thankful for your love for us. You never give up on us. We are never too far away for your grace, and you give us stories and and illustrations. You give us your word so we can be pulled into your presence, and we thank you for that. And so, Lord, I just pray for our congregation right now that are sitting here and those watching online and other venues, those of us who know the Lord, there's areas in our life as we take stock, we take inventory of our life, there's something that we can work on this week, one of these four things, and so help us to do that but Lord I also pray for those that are in our service today that maybe don't know you and today they want to make a decision they want to follow you they want to put their faith and trust in you and so today Lord I pray for them in fact if you're here why don't you just pray this prayer right where you sit in the quietness of this moment just pray this prayer in your heart dear Jesus I come before you today and I ask you to forgive me of my sin I invite you into my life I invite you to be my savior and my Lord. I want to follow you. I want to be a Christian. Help me, Lord, to live for you this day forward. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit to live for you in this world. And I thank you for it now. And Father, wherever that prayer was prayed, whether in this room or across the internet or one of our venues or in the prisons in our community, Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit right now is bearing witness with them that they have become a child of God, and that is awesome. And we thank you for that, Lord. Help us, Lord, as a church to come alongside them and to grow in their relationship with you. And we give this all to you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen amen. Hey, let me share this with you. If you prayed that prayer today uh, for the first time to invite Jesus into your life, that's so awesome. We want to celebrate with you. Uh, One of the ways we can do that is right out this door here, there's an area called Next Steps, and we have some volunteers out there. They're going to get you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to get that for you. Uh, They're going to pray with you. They're going to give you opportunities in which you can connect to the church in different ways. But beyond all that, all we really want is to help you grow in your relationship with God, because it's the most exciting thing you, you did today, to welcome Jesus Christ into your life. In fact, let's welcome those to the family of God. Would we, we clap enjoy? <laughs> For that? That's pretty cool. We want to celebrate that with you. Hey, so why don't everybody stand to your feet. We're going to do our benediction, and then we're going to enjoy a wonderful Lord's Day today. So let's do our benediction. Amen. And now, to him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, Compass. Have a wonderful Lord's Day, and we'll see you next Sunday.